20 episodes. Can you believe we're here already? 20 different ways of elaborating on just the title, Crime of the Century. 20 times we've lifted the lid on modern education and exposing it as a scam that it is. In the face of political correctness, we've finally begun to understand the problems that we face. And today, I think we should look back at all of the things we've gone over to fully illustrate the problem that we have and why this is the crime of the century. So we'll start with my story. Why, why do I even care about colleges? Um, why do I care about the slant that, that is baked right into the college atmosphere? Why, why do I care about the government? Why, why am I doing any of this? Well, it started in, during the 2016 election, um, kind of a volatile election. I don't know if, I don't know if you've noticed, um, but a man who is quickly becoming one of my uh, favorite presidents uh, in the history of U.S. presidents, Donald Trump, was elected. And so naturally, um, the most of the professorship, there were a couple, uh, I was at a relatively conservative college compared to the norm. And some of the older history professors, that was my degree, I was going for history, um, some of the older guard, uh, I, I mean, I knew they were more conservative, but there was no way of determining who they voted for or any of that. Their politics were mostly out of the, the classroom. Same could not be said for the younger professors. We had one who was a socialist who drank soy like his life depended on it, uh, you know, bald by 30 and uh, no testicles. So we had another libertarian guy who was all right, I suppose, but these are all the between 30 and 40 year old professors. The one in question, um, she really took a, 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 a disliking to President Trump, and he, and he was President Trump, in the sense that um, we had to write a paper in a 400-level cl uh, class, mind you, so that's, you know, top of the line, uh, comparing Trump to Mussolini. Now, you don't have to be much of a historian or even interested in history to realize that there is no connection, no logical connection between Trump and any dictator, let alone uh, radical leftists uh, like a Mussolini or a, or a Hitler or any of those people, it's, it's a fallacy. You cannot make that connection and that's what I wrote in my response. There is no historical precedent, no grounding for, for this, this, this prompt and I don't feel this is a constructive use of the time that we have. Now the class was on European fascism in the 20th century. Fine, that's a great topic. There's a lot of trends that we can see throughout history with European fascism. Uh, how, how countries and people will react when there's a power vacuum, a lot of the 20s, or how people and countries will react when there's a lot of chaos and how they will seek order in an in a, in a ideology that's centered around the government um, to combat that. There are great lines uh, and threads throughout history that you can connect using fascism. Of course, it's totally overblown now and everybody's talking Trump is Hitler, Trump is this guy or that guy, and they're doing the whole practice a disservice. But that's not the point that she was asking us to make. The point was, compare Trump to Mussolini, say he's the worst person ever, and you can't. And 
So I, I confronted her on that um, in, in the paper, not in person. And later on, there was another paper where we had to read a Marxist historian, and these people do exist, where they look at history entire, entirely through the prism of Karl Marx. Which is, which is dangerous, and that's a whole other video that we'll get into later. But the point is, um, drawing historical connections based only on someone who is a historical and culture, cultural Marxist is threatening to the student's worldview who don't understand the ideology behind it. And again, so I confronted her on that in my paper. And started, I was in, a, in another class, in a creative writing English class uh, that I was required to take as a liberal, liberal arts school. And uh, one of my favorite professors, who was an older guard uh, historian, uh, who was also a conservative, he, uh, he poked his head in the door and asked me to, to come to his office. And, and I did. And, he informed me that I was being thrown out of that class. Um, not for things that he had thrown students out before, which was being rude or, or texting in class. No, this was because I had a different idea. And I'll admit, in rereading the paper recently, I could have used a little bit more tact, but I couldn't have been plainer in saying, I don't agree with this prompt, here's why, here's the logical reasons why I don't agree with this prompt. and rather than debate me, rather than um, even acknowledge my point could possibly have been valid, just throw that out, throw it out. And it made me say, you know, if I'm getting, if I'm getting this treatment here at a school that is rather conservative uh, for a college campus, I'm never going to, it's not going to get better than this. It, it, it would only get worse. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I ended up dead if I was in California and had those statements, or if I ended up uh, in a body bag at, U at UMass. Uh, I do, uh, I am from Massachusetts originally, so I do know some people back there, and God bless them for staying, um, if they have any sort of conservative, conservative inkling. Um, you know, I, I wish them the best. But I realize how much of a trend this is. Even if you just look up anecdotal stories, which isn't what this book is, is, is comprised of. This is real historical trends with the evidence of, of today. And so afterwards, I realized that I believe that, that, that because of what we've been being taught, we're losing an entire generation of students. And not only that, but most of America is going broke attempting to pay for a useless education. Because you look at it, and you look at it from a standpoint, a financial standpoint, cost to, to benefit. And you could easily make the argument that, yeah, it's $350,000 to send two kids through college. But if they come out and they're making um, a decent job and a decent living that they wouldn't have had without the school, then it's good to go in that debt, and that debt becomes good debt. But if you get, you know, if you go for a lesbian dance theory and only go to school to question your sexuality, is that really worth $350,000 and then you're working at Burger King for a bar as a bartender for the next few years? Does that, is that a good spend of, of your hard-earned money? I, I don't believe so. And 
you look at the, the skyrocketing cost of education, the amount of debt we have to go in, the fact that the average 22-year-old has over $50,000 of debt, that's, that's not exactly a recipe for success. So then they come out of school, they're working more to service the debt than actually provide for themselves, what little money, and, and they're taxed all the way, mind you. And so you add in the enormous cost uh, and the rising cost of education to the debt servicing, and you arrive at a situation we have now where uh, in New York, this socialist was just elected, and you wonder why. Well, it's because uh, not only are there some uh, other demographic reasons for it, but most young people are feeling this squeeze because they're, they're working as hard as they can, 40 to 60 hours. They're, they're putting in the effort and the work, and most of it's just servicing debt that they'll, they'll never see those dollars again. And if you understand the concept of op opportunity cost, it's the idea that every dollar you spend today will never be able to be invested and make you money later. So these students are sending hundreds of thousands of dollars in potential over their lifetimes away to some other entity, the, namely the government or, or bank who's going to use it for their own purposes. And we're also in these hyperinflationary times. Uh, you know, $50,000 today in 30 years will be worth almost exactly half as much as it is. You need to be making a hundred grand in 30 years just to make 50 grand today. And so you compound all these factors together and you can see how the, how polarized we become because you have really two sides that come out of it. You have my side, the conservative side that says we need to get the government out of all this crap. The, 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 issue is this inefficient bureaucracy that is just strangling these kids, it's strangling the universities, and, well, I misspoke there. The universities are strangling the parents, and the universities are, are complicit in the fact that they teach the other side. The other side being the socialist side, the other side being the side that says that we're the bad guys, the conservative side, and the government needs to be involved exclusively in everything, and that you don't own your own labor, and nobody owns their own labor, and it's the evil capitalist fault because they have nothing, they work very, very hard, and they see someone who's working just as hard, who didn't go to school, or, or who chose a different path, or who invented something, who has much more uh, earning potential, much more uh, dollars than they do, and they think that person's the bad guy not the university that took their money and taught them this crap. And so you begin to understand why everything is not only so polarized, but why Marxism, socialism, communism, why that's even still relevant. It should have died in 1991 with the Soviet Union. Uh, then the Chinese have a free market, and I wouldn't really necessarily call them communist, although they were uh, at one point. That's over. That's 20th century stuff. That, that, that stuff's over and done with. It failed. We know it fails. It sounds nice. It sounds like a utopia. But every time it's been implemented, it's, it's been used for nothing but death and destruction and the loss of, of human life and potential to the tune of hundreds of millions. Which I know it sounds like a statistic, but each one of those people either belonged to a family or was, it was their entire family that was murdered. So, or starved to death or gassed or whatever. So, we should understand why that ideology failed, but we don't. And it comes back to the universities. And I've, I've talked a lot about Dennis Diderot, I've talked a lot about 
uh, Jean Jacques Rousseau, a lot of these Frenchmen from the mid-18th century, they are the basis for Karl Marx, who is the basis for many of the views now in our education system. And the basic idea of Rousseauianism, where it differs from Lockeanism, is the fact that the government is there to serve the needs of the community, versus Locke says the government's there to protect the rights that are inherent within the individual. And you see this play out when we get to someone like a Karl Marx who says you don't own any property, the government is the entity of the people, and uh, we're going to murder anybody who doesn't agree with us. That is a radical view of, of Rousseauianism. And all of that became later in the, uh, in the 30s and the 50s when all of these professors who came from Europe who thought much like uh, either Karl Marx or Jean-Jacques Rousseau and they came over and they were radicalized in the, um, the bounty, the bounty of, of capitalism that, that had been produced in this country and had, we had avoided a lot of the destruction of World War I. And so you understand the, the basis of some of these, these players and what they thought and their impact in society, their impact on history and their impact on the future. Because these people live on, much how Washington and the Founding Fathers live on through us, the American people, these philosophers, as wrong and incorrect and as responsible for the amount of death that they, as they have been, live on through these modern professors because they haven't been checked. And now they run the universities. And now they're, as a popular term has been thrown out, they're a monolith now. They own the political discussion on universities. And when it gets to the point when you're calling Ben Shapiro a white supremacist, uh, and I'm not the biggest fan, I think he's uh, a little bit too centrist, um, but when you're calling a, a Jew a Nazi, you may just not care what you're talking about and may be interested in just labeling people. Um, there might be an issue there. I don't know. I, I don't think they can see it, which is the problem. Because Here, here's the other problem. Those, those professors will make their 60 to 200 grand. Heck, they could be even like Elizabeth Warren and go to a prestigious school and make a half a million a year to teach one class. They'll make their money. The professors have got theirs. They've got their job and they can spew whatever. But they're not the ones who hurt. The ones who hurt are the ones who entered society expecting society to conform to like their professors conform to to their standards and that's that's not how the world works so there i was in for a rude awakening and i thought i was uh in the right i thought i was you know doing everything to to prevent that and yeah it's it's hard but what i realize is that we live in a country that if you're willing to put in work and create for the community for others see if you create in your own self-interest you will make nothing or you'll be seen as a scammer and a cheat and you will quickly be vetted out. The beauty of this country is if you create for others, if you create to educate others, if you create to provide for others, if you create to provide health services to others, you will be rewarded. And sometimes you'll be re rewarded, depending on how you help somebody, you'll be rewarded in great excess. And that's not a problem, it, but it's the people who don't want to create. It's the people who are centered completely on themselves and who learn from their professors that that's a good thing, who don't produce. And when they don't produce, they get frustrated. 
When they don't produce, they blame. And when they blame, they blame the people who did produce. And that causes this whole socialist capitalist dichotomy. This causes all of the problems that we're seeing. And it starts here in the pandering institutions. And this problem runs much deeper than this 49-page book here uh, that will have a second edition next year. It runs deeper than that. And it's a shame that we don't have the total time and nobody has the patience anymore to realize how much of an issue this is. But we can fix it. We can fix it by making sure that college isn't a requirement. We can fix it by, by encouraging trade jobs, encouraging trade schools. We can fix it by educating people about how wealth works, educating people about money, educating people about not storing it away like some rodent and then hoping that you die before your money dies. We can educate people about so much more, and that's coming from the private sector. We can, we can have um, uh, entrepreneurs uh, from Cardone to, to Ty Lopez to, to name any entrepreneur who's been successful. Have them come in and teach the students about how to build a business. Teach the students about how to make a sales call. Teach the students about how to go get it. Teach the students about anything except for gender studies that, 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 that don't produce. And we will see a drastic shift in society. Teach students how to be farmers. Um, my own father has his degree in agriculture. He's been a very, very successful. And there are so many ways that you can be successful in this country. It's a shame that we're being taught by the universities. And I ran into this and, and more than just mathematics to say, oh, you're going to grow up working for some rich guy and then you'll grow old and die. No, you can do anything in this country, so long as you work for the community. And in the end, that's why capitalism will always win. That's why this country and the freedoms and liberties that it was founded on will always win. And in the end, that's why we will win. And that's why you're going to win. But this is, for now, until we fix it, the crime of the century.